All right. Well, hey, good morning. Happy Easter Anthem Church. Uh, glad you guys would spend Easter with us this morning. My name's Stan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, it's fun seeing everybody come in in their awesome Easter garb. Um, this is what I got dressed in this morning. So uh, John chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. John chapter 20. If you got your Bibles, your smartphones, as you're turning there, this has kind of become like the universal sign for Easter, right? This is one of them plastic eggs. And so my kids, we're going to hide some of these around the house this afternoon. And uh, I got four little girls and uh, three of them are going to know what's going on. The littlest one, she's only one. She, she'll, she'll enjoy it either way. But, um, but I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, got kids around or maybe you're just a big kid like myself. So here's the reality. Went home a few weeks ago, back to the farm and uh, my mom, we, we've got this big kind of shop on the farm, and she'll hide these eggs. And I'm saying, not just for the kids, but like her kids, like grown people, um, you know, out there finding Easter eggs. And here's the thing, like me and my siblings, I've got three sisters, they're all married. It'll be all of us kind of running around this shop because she fills these things. My mom, she goes overboard. They're loaded with some like the best candy. She'll even throw some money in there. And I'm telling you, you get like people nearing 40, just about knocking each other out, trying to find these eggs. And then it, there's like seven different colors, which for the colorblind guy, like I'm always saying, this is not fair. Um, but in the competition, if you're the first one to find like all seven eggs, then you get 20 bucks. So now it just gets heightened all the more. You're like, that's gas money right there. And so um, I'm telling you, it is, it is an all-out brawl. But here's the reality, is if you took, so in this one, you got some Skittles. If you took the contents out of this, and there wasn't money or there wasn't candy and it was just an empty plastic egg, I'm telling you it would probably kill a lot of the incentive, right? If these were just laying around empty, you'd be like, I'm, I'm good. But the reality that, that they're filled, that's what drives it. If they're not, it's futile, it's, it's worthless. And here's what 1 Corinthians 15 would say. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile. It's like an empty Easter egg. If Jesus, if the grave is not empty, if the tomb is not empty, it's all in vain. All this, the church closed, this whole thing, it's for nothing. In fact, he would go on in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says, if, if in Christ we only have hope in this life, we of all people are to be most pitied. Meaning if there's no Hope in heaven, if there's no life after life, with which the resurrection proves, if, there, if that doesn't exist, he's saying pity the people that give generously, that get up on Sunday mornings versus sleeping. Pity those people that live like there is a life to come. But the reality of the empty tomb, the fact that Jesus did not stay dead, that he's risen, makes our faith not futile. In fact, the empty tomb persists as one of the stubborn historical facts that refuses to go away. And as we look at John today and we look at the narrative and we see the days after the resurrection, the hope is that we would understand more than intellectually assenting to the fact that there is a resurrection, we would begin to understand the real practical impl implications. That we would understand the implications. And so, we're going to dive in 
There's a lot that we're going to cover in John, so buckle up, all right? So here we go. I'm going to pray for us before we get going. God, would you please teach us from your word? Would you show us new things that we hadn't understood? And would there just be um, a richness in your word today that, that moves in us, that brings about real implications? Just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So just setting it up, if you, you open your Bibles to John chapter 20, if you, in 19, you kind of see um, the whole story of the trial going down. Before that, you see this triumphal entry. So last Sunday, churches celebrated Palm Sunday, where Jesus would have rode into town on a donkey, and the crowd, the masses of people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and they are welcoming him into town. That's Sunday. By Thursday, he's being betrayed by one of his own disciples. Then they run this thing throughout the evening, and by Friday at noon, he is being hung on a cross. And so there's a lot that has gone down in there. There was the, the Last Supper, and again, the, the irony that he washes the feet of all the disciples, even those that would walk off to betray him. The garden, they are there in the garden and uh, they scatter in fear. And Peter, who earlier that night at the supper said, I'll never leave you. I'll never betray you. That night, <laughs> he betrays Jesus and denies him three times. And so we see in John 19, we're getting to John 20, but in John 19, Pilate in verse uh, 1 and 2 had a crown made of thorns, placed it on Jesus' head, a purple robe. And in they, these uh, people come up to him and struck him with their hands and said, Hail, the king of the Jews. Later on in 19, verses 17, we say they, they took Jesus and went out, bearing his own cross, they placed uh, to a place called the place of skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others who would have been criminals on either side and Jesus in between them. Now, I want you, as we're getting ready to go in the narrative, can you imagine what it would have been like to be a, one of the disciples, to be one of the 11 that are there remaining? Can you imagine that scene? Were they at that crucifixion scene after they had fled the night before in the garden? And here they see the one whom they left everything and followed for three years, hanging on a cross as the sky is like, Growing black, can you imagine the, the confusion, the sadness perhaps they felt, the shame, and certainly the fear that they would have had? And then, Jesus, they pierced his side, proving that he was dead, took him from the cross and laid him in the tomb. And on Friday, he was dead. On Saturday, he stayed dead. But on Sunday... He's not dead anymore. <laughs> he comes out of the tomb, and, and earlier in John 20, the, 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 the gals get there, and they see the empty tomb, and, and Peter and John have this foot race, and, and they see this empty tomb and a cloth folded up and just trying to comprehend what is going on. And on John chapter 20, verse 19, we'll start to dive in. It says, on the evening of that day, resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the, uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Guys, they, they're hiding. They, 
They know that those that unashamedly killed their leaders, what would they do to them? And so here they are with doors locked. Continuing on in 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his uh, side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Can you, just time out. (laughs) One, the doors are locked. It's like, how'd you get in here? That would have been one thing. And then two, like, you're alive. You wouldn't have a category for that prior to this. Like, dead things stay dead. We just assume that. Like, the squirrel you see flattened on the road on work to morning, you don't, like, seem like up jumping eating nuts, like, on your way home. Like, it's dead things stay dead. And here, Jesus is very much alive and in their presence. And this would have been just a, a game changer. The natural world has just been turned upside down. There's life after life. And Jesus proves that he's Lord of all, even over death, doesn't hold him down. And so immediately after that, he shows them his hands and his side. Then he's going to commission them in 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You see the theme there. He's peace be with you. This is the second time in the same kind of meeting. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Sounds a lot like Matthew 28, where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Which I find it intriguing that he would have to clarify that, like that he has authority. It's like, you know, is anybody questioning his authority at this point? Like, death, what do you have to say about No, I've got no authority over him. Like, wind, waves, Nobody's questioning his authority. I imagine the disciples are like, no one's questioning your authority. And what Jesus does with that authority is he's saying, go. What he's saying here is he's saying, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And you would think at this point, if you're one of the ten disciples that are present, you'd be nodding along. You're like, totally. <laughs> like, we'll follow you. See, Judas was out and Thomas, Thomas we're going to see, like, he's making a Walmart run or something because he's not here at this point. And he's going to, I don't know if it's Walmart, Target, something. He's not there. And, and he comes back to this group. They're probably pretty ecstatic about having got to hang out with Jesus. And Thomas, you have you ever walked in a room, maybe like TV shows going on, you see something, you're like, wait, wait, what I miss? What I miss? Or a, f- a football game, that's a better one. Like, you just hear this eruption, you come in, you're like, what happened? What happened? Thomas comes back, and like, there's probably some excitement going on in the room. It's like, what I miss? What I miss? He missed more than a touchdown, right? This was like a big deal, and he was not there. And now, pick up the narrative in 24. Now, Thomas, 112, called twin, was not there when uh, Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, I love Thomas, this is good. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. (laughs) Okay, Thomas, like, really? Uh, But I love the authenticity in, he just goes there. It's a little bit bold. But he goes there, and I love how the narrative continues right away. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, 
And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand in and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, man, I love scripture and just what um, God is showing us through this. And they've all seen Jesus now. They have all been sent in light of the resurrection. There is life after life. And I'm sending you guys to go proclaim what it is that you now know. Jesus saying his investment has been in these guys that they would carry what they had seen, what they now know, and tell other people. And he just makes his aliveness so known to them. In fact, in the Luke account, he lets everybody like touch him and see. He's like, this isn't a spirit. They don't have flesh and bones like this. He haven't, even has like some fish with them. It's like, spirits don't eat, right? I am very much alive. And he's wanting them to live this sent life, John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. You spent three years with me. They'd seen a lot. In fact, the, the way that this whole gospel ends, John 21, verse 25 says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And to think that these guys had seen a little bit, you'd be right. right? They, they had seen so much. They had this privileged position of walking with Jesus. And now all Jesus is saying, <laughs> hey boys, I'm asking you to go Tell people what it is that you've seen. As the Father sent me to you, I am sending you out. They would have had a lot to share. Aren't you excited to continue reading the narrative and see what these guys do with that? <laughs> You're going to be disappointed. Okay. What are they up to? We're talking the next chapter, John 21, if you're following along in your Bibles. The next chapter. You're talking Jesus was only with them 40 days before he ascended into heaven. So day one, he appears to all of them. Eight days after that, so now you're day nine. Eight days after that, he appears to Thomas and them. So sometime between day nine and day 40, this instance occurs. You're talking maybe day, days, maybe a few weeks. John 21, and again, remember, he sent them to go tell. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And that's not like metaphorically like, oh, fishing for men. No, <laughs> he's saying, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. Now, if you're doing the math, that's seven out of 11 that said, 
we're going with you. And they went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Anthem Church, they were fishing. The resurrected Jesus appeared to him. The God of the universe resurrected, appeared to them couple times now, commissioned them to go. They had so much to share, and they went fishing. Really? <laughs> like, huh. uh, and apparently, like, they go fishing, and they're not even doing that well. They caught nothing. Like, it wasn't, like, reeling them in. It's like, out all night, they caught nothing. And here's the thing. If Jesus would have left them in the boat, that'd be a problem. Because the reality is these guys were plan A and there was no plan B. He was, this was his investment for three years. Earlier in John 17, as they finally understand, he says, finally, I finished the work that I've been given to do. He discipled his disciples. When he went, these were the ones that the gospel was going to go forth. This is, these were the guys that were going to take the stories. They were plan A. There wasn't a plan B. So if he would have left them in the boat, that would have been a problem. And here's the other thing, is it does not align with the weighty reality of the resurrection. It denies the very thing that they believe in their heads to be out there fishing in a boat. What I mean by that is that if we believe what we really believe, there should be implications. And the implications that there's life after life doesn't mean you go back to what's formerly comfortable and easy. This should have had implications. Brennan Manning said it like this, the greatest single cause of atheism, that is people that don't believe in God, the greatest single cause of that in the world today is Christians. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You can say amen if you want to, right? That's the, it's unbelievable. Wait, imagine if you're looking at it and it's like, wait, you walk with Jesus. You saw all the miracles he's done. You saw him die on a cross for your sins. Then you saw him resurrected, giving you a promise of life after life. He commissioned you to go, and, and you're fishing? I don't think God's quite as important, apparently, as you say he is, given your lifestyle. They deny him by what they're doing, and it lacks eternal perspective. The fact that these guys are out fishing when the resurrected Jesus commissioned them to go, it just... It, it lacks eternal perspective. And what I mean by that, James uh, 14.4 says it like this. He says, what is your life? What is your life? It's just but a mist. You know when he talks about when he said mist? Get ready. This is your life. <laughs> right? oh, <where'd> it? <laughs> That's your life. Here today gone tomorrow. Your life is but a miss, James would say. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. The reality of the resurrection says that there is life after this. And that gives perspective. What we do with this right here, that puts it in perspective. 
The reality that, that, that these things right here, we shouldn't get so caught up with the little bit of drama, recognizing that there's life after life, and this life is just but a mist, here today, gone tomorrow. So the fact that you have walked with the resurrected Jesus, you've seen all these miracles, and you're using this life to go fishing? Something's wrong. Is what, and that's why Jesus doesn't leave them in the boat. It's this life after life that gives us perspective. It's why we follow that prompting that comes from the Lord to make that phone call to that person that he puts on our heart. It's why we would turn the car around and go talk to that person and perhaps pray for them. Because we recognize that it's not about comfort, it's not about what's familiar, it's, it's about living a life to honor God. It's why we give sacrificially. Recognizing that we're following what Jesus has done. It's why Jesus is not content with his disciples fishing their lives away. I said fishing, okay? He's not content with them fishing their lives away. That, that Understanding that there's eternal perspective, that he's risen. It has implications for the disciples and for us. It's not enough to be mere fishers of fish. So he reveals himself yet again to them here in John 21. For most of them, my understanding is this is the third time. And I love, you learn something about the Lord as we read this together. See something about who God is here. As we continue in John 21, just at daybreak, verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I love that. He's like, hey, boys. Catch anything? They answered him, nope. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. <laughs> I love this. You can't make this stuff up. They're in a boat, seven guys, right? Oh, you've been trying the left side? <laughs> you ought to try the right side. Can you imagine like how crazy that would have been? Like, oh, the three foot is going to make the difference. <laughs> Left side versus right side. But they do it, and uh, they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And we're going to see later that it's 153 in Scripture notes, and not just 153 little fish. Large fish. And these seven Men can't pull up the haul of fish that they've got there. <laughs> I love if you recognize the irony of this. Peter was called into ministry with a miraculous catch of fish. Very much in the same way. And here he is being kind of reinstated, recalled into ministry the same way. And somebody in the boat, I think it's John, the author here, he puts it together, and he said, I think it's Jesus. <laughs> See, in verse 7, it is the Lord. Yeah, and when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was already stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. <laughs> you 
you, can you begin to see like the imagery here? Early morning, sweating, hauling fish. Somebody's like, I think this is Jesus. You know, left side, right side. Uh, you know, I think figuring this out. Peter's ready, half naked from sweating and working so hard. Takes what is left, throws his outer garment, and just, I love how scripture says, throws himself into the sea and just starts swimming to Jesus frantically. Meanwhile, the other six haul the net in with them. And they got to land, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish already laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples had dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples that he was raised from the dead. Do you understand something about the Lord through this? See, he didn't come back to them this third time wagging a finger at them, saying, now boys, I am so disappointed in you. I commissioned you one time, two times, and here it is the third time. Really? Do you get that tone from him at all through this? It's not one of disappointment, frustration. Man, I tell you, like, I've got like little kids. And by the time it's the third time, there's some impatience and frustration. These grown men who walk with Jesus for three years that were clearly commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. And yet we see that God is patient, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And when I look at these guys, honestly, I have hope for myself. Maybe that's not the right way to look at these disciples, but you're hard-pressed to find perfect people in Scripture. And these disciples are no exception. And I find hope because time and time again, I find myself falling short of the glory of God. And you look at how God responds. You take Peter. Peter himself denies Jesus. Boldly say, I'll never do that. Denies him three times. And there's some more in here I want you to see. Peter swims ashore. He's greeted by the warmth of Jesus as his friend and this charcoal fire. And so you can appreciate the sovereignty of God. The other mention of charcoal fire in John is John 18, verse 18. And I'll read it for you. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The last time Peter stood around a charcoal fire is when he was denying Jesus Christ. And now here he is, warming himself up after swimming in some seawater around a charcoal fire. And I don't know the psychology of all this, but you can imagine it's bringing back some memories. And it continues as we see God in his heart and his compassion and his graciousness. Jesus is just reeling him in and he begins to ask this question, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord, he says. Then feed my lambs, in verse 15. Second time, Peter 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time. This isn't getting lost on you, right? A third time. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Denied him three times, and here he is, reinstating him three times around a charcoal fire, commissioning him to be a shepherd, <laughs> to be a shepherd of people, to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. Jesus didn't give up on these guys. He didn't give up on Peter. Gives me hope that God will glorify himself through us, and especially the broken ones. All the more glory to him when he does that, because when he uses broken people, there is no question as to who should be getting the credit. And so here he is reappearing to these guys because he is not content with them just fishing their lives away. He has risen. It has implications because the resurrection of Jesus ensures that there is life after life. It's an unrefutable fact. It, the, the empty tomb speaks for itself. That's the best apologetic argument that they would have had in their day. How does the, this message go forward? They could have just went and said, well, he's still in here. But they couldn't do that. And so like wildfire, the gospel, the good news just begins to spread. And it's this reality that those who trust in him, those who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins will have eternal life. That's the gift of God is eternal life Meaning after this, life after life, with God forever, if we trust in Jesus. For it's by grace that we're saved, through faith, not by works. It's not about what we do in this short life, but it's about what has been done through Jesus, dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. For those who trust in the resurrected Jesus, we can live forever with him. That's the hope we have. So it is this it's God who is patient, compassionate, compassionate, who has a never-ending, never-giving-up kind of love for us that results in us being saved. It's that gracious, passionate, slow-to-anger, loving God that gives us hope in heaven. And as I was studying, it is also made clear that it's that same passionate, gracious, patient, slow-to-anger, abounding in love kind of, that God has for us, that even when we go back to fishing, that even when we returned to the familiar, instead of living sent lives, that gracious, compassion, patient God that saved us is also the one that is inviting us back in to live the sent life. Is that, can you begin to make sense of that? I think we can understand the mercy and grace of God that, that he would send his son to die for us, although it is, is hard to comprehend. Oftentimes, and I'm speaking to the Christian, you get that. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for loving us. But now that you've been given that grace, you're like, okay, from here on out, though, I better not mess up. From here on out, <laughs> like, thank you, God, you started it. I'll see it through from here. And if I don't, I'll just heap guilt upon myself. I'll feel bad. And what I would bring you to, 
believer who has much to celebrate on this day, what I would want you to hear and see through this scripture is the God that saves you is also the God that sustains you. Meaning that this grace that was applied to save us is also the grace that is applied when we go back fishing. But what we see in this text, and I take encouragement because I can relate to them, and while I can relate, I don't want to stay there. Does that make sense? I don't want to stay failing to live in light of what we celebrate today. And I, w- I wouldn't want you to stay there either. Because to, to leave here, living for this right here, this little bit, man, it would miss it. The resurrection should have practical implications that there is life after life. And if we could have that eternal perspective, if the reality, the weight of what we celebrate today was there, perhaps it would manifest itself in being a little bit more bold with our co-workers, our family, our friends. Perhaps it would manifest itself in the decisions that we make with our finances, where we choose to live, what kind of jobs we take, should have implications, real implications. This reality should prompt us to live a little bolder and take those opportunities. Like Luke was coaching, he has risen, he has risen indeed, and it has implications. And rest assured, God who would send his son to die for us, is compassionate and gracious, and slow to anger, abounding in love, and he is inviting us, all of us, to live sent lives with him. So I'm going to invite Todd. He's one of our aspiring elders up here, and we're going to celebrate communion in a little bit different way. And so as Todd comes up, I just want to pray for us, and I want to give you an opportunity to just kind of close your eyes And just begin to ask the Lord, God, how does my life perhaps not reflect the reality of the resurrection? I know it's a mouthful, but maybe just begin to ask that question. Lord, would you help me understand perhaps the temporary things that I'm living for? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your compassion towards the disciples. Thank you for your compassion towards me, towards us. That you would pursue us, even while we are far off and enemies, God, you pursued us and are pursuing us still. Lord, thank you for loving us. And we can love because you first loved us. And we can live bold, surrendered lives knowing that there is life after life. And so, God, thank you for the reality of this, given the empty tomb. Just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.